Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Hey, guess what? I've got a book coming out. How exciting is that? It's called School X, and it's all about helping you as a principal be a designer of your school and not just a manager. So I hope you'll check it out. You can download the free chapter at schoolx.me. So just go to schoolx.me to download the first free chapter. And once you get it, hit reply to the email and tell me what you think. Looking forward to sharing that with you. That's schoolx.me. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I am excited to be a media partner for the Conrad Challenge. The Conrad Challenge is this amazing educational experience that allows students to create real-world applications to solve problems that we are facing today. It's amazing. Check out more at conradchallenge.org. That's conradchallenge.org. Welcome to Transformative Principle. This is episode 362, and I am very excited to have Kat Howard on the program today. She is the AP at the Dustin School and is also the founder of Lit Drive, which is an amazing community that provides professional development for English teachers. So, Kat, welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to chat with you because today we're going to talk about a bunch of different things, I'm sure. But I want to first get your brief story about how you came to be in education, to be a principal, and what brought you to that point. Uh, so I came, I came to teaching quite late. I was in, um, I was working in the financial sector uh, for a leading high street bank in the UK, and um, I was responsible for recruitment and retention within within the bank. And I just, I felt that kind of real lack of reward. I think when anybody, you, you talk to a great deal of people that have. Um, have you know career changes within the profession and they they say a very similar thing that it's that kind of you know I've I've worked for money but I haven't necessarily worked for purpose and I think that was really lacking so I um I went back to university I and and then retrained as a teacher and and you know when I thought about what I wanted to teach um and how I kind of got there I volunteered a lot and English is the the only thing that I've really ever fallen in love with at school um, so I decided that English was definitely my bag and um, yeah I went back to train so um, it was really that kind of that lack of reward I think in yeah in you know getting up and feeling fired up about coming into work every day so I worked as an English teacher in various schools around I'm kind of Midlands area of the UK so Leicestershire and um, Northamptonshire 
And then um, I was um, a lead practitioner, it's what we call, so it's like a lead teacher for um, a period of time. I looked after what we call our higher attainers. Um, so um, ran things like lecture programme within the school that I was in. So we would invite kind of external people in from local higher education authorities to come and speak to our kids and ran that across school for a while as well as other couple of programmes, and then um, picked up my role at um, the Justin School, where I'm at now, which is a, a, a school that's, you know, we're still on this amazing journey um, that we've kind of, the head's only been there for, this will be his third year. So it's, it's a really exciting time. And um, yeah, so now I oversee um, quality of curriculum. We're all about kind of a real curriculum as a progression model and that idea of knowledge-driven, knowledge-rich curriculum and um, I also oversee staff development to kind of coincide with that to make sure that um, that our teachers are experts within the classroom so yeah that's kind of how I've ended up where I've ended up. Yeah fascinating story Um, I love hearing about people who came into education from something else because many of us came into education first because we knew that's what we wanted to do Um, but then others came in because they tried something else and didn't find the reward and so it's, uh, it's always an interesting story. So one of the things that, that I know that you're great at, especially at this time of coronavirus crisis that we're in, that is making sure that teachers are feeling supported and taking care of themselves. And so I want to dive into that topic. And let's start by talking about things that you do to encourage teachers to take care of themselves, because that is that is something that um, everybody's working harder than they ever have before. Everybody's doing more than they ever have before. We're teaching kids in ways that we've never been trained how to teach them. And um, and I have a little different take on that, which we can probably get into. But let's let's talk about that first. How do you, when the pressure is high and there's so much to do, how do you help teachers take care of themselves? Yeah, I think that's a really kind of, it's almost a dual narrative. And I, um, when I wrote Stop Talking About Wellbeing last year, the book about kind of approaching workload in such a way, you almost have to have two layers to that advice. It's setting the caveat of, you know, we have a responsibility to ourselves. Um, you know, we, we have individual responsibility to making sure that we take care of ourselves and that that is paramount. Um, you know, a great deal of people will Um, get caught up in sitting up until two o'clock in the morning you know scavenging around for resources when actually the best thing they could do for themselves is get eight hours sleep sleep is everything sleep is all you know Um, lack of sleep will kill you so you know that is that is so paramount Um, but also making sure that the the support is there from leadership that, that those people have the capacity to be able to ask for support and it not being seen as weakness, I think is really important. Making sure that you, you, you know, that, that there are outlets for people to talk to, for t- teachers to talk to. And that's both on a formal and informal level. So that, you know, that we have, we're building really strong relationships between line managers and the staff that, um, that they line manage. And, um, but also on a more formal level. So that if we're looking at any changes and things are changing so rapidly, within schools from day to day at the moment as we're trying to you know work around the logistics the practical logistics of coronavirus making sure that staff are kept informed and making sure that there's an opportunity for staff to air their views and share 
their experience on the ground level of once you're trying to implement a particular rule or you know or process does it work and being really receptive to those staff if it doesn't work and how we can make it to work and so it's kind of you know it when we're, we're thinking about well-being and workload it's making sure that everybody has the opportunity to have their voice heard I think that's incredibly important when you've got you're building something like a school community for sure. Well, I, I think that that piece about everybody being heard is is really important. But we we talk about that like, does everybody have the opportunity to say how, what they feel? And and there's a difference between somebody speaking and actually being heard. And so, how do you define that piece there of being uh, being heard as opposed to just being able to give feedback? Yeah, I think that um, there's two elements at play here. I think it's making sure that leadership model effective conversation and, like you say, effective, um, you know, effective discourse, effective exchange. And that's one, making sure that you are actively listening to that person, that you're, you know, this comes back to kind of coaching training very much so of, you know, clarifying what you've heard, making sure that what you've heard is what the person means and having those conversations but also the side effects of, of those conversations of really decent conversations where people feel heard is that that's modeled to them so that when they're coming back to leadership or they're speaking to other members within their team they're doing the same thing and so you know when we, when you're ensuring that there are opportunities for people to be heard it's not just the impact that it has in that moment in that conversation between those two people it's the ripple effect of you know that we're modeling really good strong meaningful conversations um that then get replicated on and on and on um at the moment, the way that that looks like in school for the particular present time is we've done several different things. Um, we've set up a mailbox so that staff can, you know, it, it, literally COVID concerns that staff send any of their queries to any worries. And that can be the smallest thing in the world. And some of the conversations that we're having as a result of those are really, uh, you know, we're implementing change as a result constantly. As I say, we're making tweaks and modifications to the rules that we're putting in place every day as a result of that. We're also the senior leadership team are really strong in the fact that we meet every single day at the end of school so it's almost a debrief and that's as a result of we're incredibly visible as a leadership team as well so we are we take the lion's share of duties we are out we are visible we are having conversations we are making ourselves readily available and not sat in ivory towers you know waiting for people to come to us with their queries we're on the ground so we're able to have those conversations and, and the most powerful conversations you have with people are those in passing conversations those oh I, I probably wouldn't have come to to bother you because I, I would worry about bothering you and worry about you not being approachable and not being busy and being behind a door but actually you're available and you're out in the corridor so I can talk to you for two minutes and it's that's so much more powerful I think yeah you know I I have a really good example of that happening I have as a principal I set up my day so that I could be out in the classrooms in the morning and in the district where I was new, the idea was that you emailed the principal and then you'd be able to get things taken care of through email. And so I I didn't like that idea because I don't like email all that much. It's necessary. We we use it, but, um, but I don't love it. And so I checked my email just once a day in the afternoon. And what I found is exactly what you're talking about, that as I was out in the school talking and walking around, people would bring their concerns to me and say, oh, hey, I don't want to bug you, but did you get my email? I said, oh, I don't check my email till the afternoon. So what is it that you emailed me about? 
And they said, well, you know, it was, it was this and you can just respond to the email. I was like, well, we can probably just solve that right this minute. So let's hash that out, take care of it. And sure enough, that's what we did. And what I found by doing that was that people recognized that I wasn't going to respond to their email right away. And so they were going to have to wait. And they knew I was going to be in the classrooms in the morning. And so they would just grab me then. And so many more productive things happened during that time rather than than later. I love that answer to how we how we make sure that people are heard is by being out there talking to them and making sure that that happens. And it's, it's not just that resolution of the problem as well. What you're doing there, you're building fantastic relationships. You know, it says so much about trust as well. Um, in the book I wrote last year, I wrote a whole chapter about email because I, I detest email. It is not, I'm sure, you know, in the corporate world, it has a place. And, and you know, if you're working kind of in different locations, it definitely has a place. In a school and built to relationships in school, I don't think email is a productive way to go about it. It's those, like you say, it's those, you know you solve a problem in a two-minute conversation that could take 18 emails and actually not reach the same resolution the better resolution I think with email yeah um I I could definitely get behind you on that as a much stronger ch- uh, approach than than what I take where I think uh email is beneficial and we don't have to make this all about email but things that we want to make sure that people know that are written down, that we want to make sure everybody's on the same page. What I hate are those meetings where everybody goes and it's all just information that would have been better in an email because then I could take my time to digest it. And so that that I think contributes to what you're saying that when, when you're with people, you should be building relationships, supporting, uh, listening, talking, like having that whole conversation not just a one way here, I'm saying everything and you have to listen to me, right? And so I think we can definitely agree on that. <laughs> no problems ever got solved by email. <laughs> right. And more often than not, they get started more than others. So the other thing that I wanted to talk about is this idea of, of taking uh, care of ourselves as a, you mentioned it before, as an individual responsibility to ourselves to do that. And I want to dig into that a little bit more because a lot of a lot of times we hear, you know, the people out there on the speaking circuit saying you can't fill others cups if yours is empty. So you need to fill your cup first. And um, and I really hate that idea of you have to take care of yourself so you can take care of others. I really think that we should take care of ourselves because human we're human beings and we need to take care of ourselves. Um, how, how do you approach that idea of giving so much as an educator and not leaving anything for yourself? Let's talk about that a little bit. I, I th- and I think that's the double-edged sword of our profession. I think that you're you're in a position of service, aren't you, as a teacher? And so you you give and give. You think about the kind of it's the give-take ratio, and you give and you give and you give. And, and so taking or being selfish—that idea of—and if—and I say being selfish because I think sometimes self-care or you know whatever you want to get self-preservation um feels selfish to people because we're used to giving a great deal without necessarily 
necessarily instant reward. The reward from teaching comes sporadically and it also comes at a much later point sometimes. Sometimes you have to wait five years to work that relationship with a child and reap the rewards from it and feel like you've done a good job. And so it feels, I think, quite unnatural to us to look after ourselves. It was a really interesting um, report that, um, that our regulator, Ofsted, in the UK did on wellbeing report. Um, and it actually talks about wellbeing as the outcome rather than the process. So instead of all of our, you know, go to yoga class and let's get people involved in a reading club and all the things that people feel like they don't actually have time to do, it, it, it's reframed as, you know, wellbeing. You can't tell people what's going to make them feel better. So give them the time and the space and the autonomy over what they're doing in the day to day and the processes that support them to do that so that they can choose what they want to do with their spare time rather than having it enforced upon them. So I think when we talk about this, yeah, this idea of kind of, you know, filling up our own cup, I think that sometimes the way that that has been executed in schools is let's put on a timetable, let's put on a schedule of things that's going to make people feel better when actually you know, the reality is nobody's at your yoga class because there's a marking policy that's so monumental that they can't see past their marking pile to get to the yoga class or nobody likes yoga. And so it's I think it's rethinking how do we improve our processes in school so that people can fill their cup in whatever way they choose, in whatever may, makes them feel better. You know, that's that's so bespoke to you as an individual. Yeah, I, I think that's really valuable. How how do we as school leaders then support people to fill their cup in their own way, even if we want to do, you know, fun things as a staff and have a yoga class or a Zumba class or whatever? John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says Stop Talking and Start Doing with Regard to Teacher Well-Being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. How do we how do we support people in doing their own thing and taking care of themselves? Um, I think there's a few things at play. Um, there was a really interesting piece of research by Jack Worth in the UK, who he's a research um, institution called the NFER about teacher autonomy, and that's so important. Our sense of purpose why we come into work every day what we feel fired up about is really really important he talks a great deal about what teachers want autonomy over and what they don't want autonomy over so teachers don't want to create their own behavior policy in class in the classroom you know because the 
behaviour policy whole school doesn't really support them. And so they're spending all of their time emailing parents, getting parents on side, getting students on side, having, you know, bespoke punishments that they're having to decide. That's not what teachers came in to teach for. Teachers didn't come in to teach um, to send out 30 emails a day. That's not going to make them feel really good about being in the classroom. Um, I think what we can do as school leaders is give them autonomy over things that, that are important because they're the experts. So things like curriculum design, we should be involving teachers as much as we can to think about teaching, talk about teaching with their other subject experts or teach. And that's what we're in, you know, that's what teachers are, are, are employed in the building for. If you use them for anything else, and I'm not saying that we, we won't use them for anything else ever. That would be the, the Elysian dream, wouldn't it? But if we can get make sure that the majority of their working week is spent talking about teaching, thinking about teaching or teaching, that's a really effective way of not just looking after your staff and making sure that your staff feel good about coming into work every day. Um, but it's also a massive investment because otherwise you're just using them as a really expensive admin tool. Um, if, they, if they're firing out, you know, if they're spending an hour a day on email that's not the most effective way to spend my money as a school leader you know in, in what is a graduate profession and a graduate salary I have people in in my office staff who can do that for me so I think the way that school leaders can best support um, teachers is is have a look at their systems have a look at their processes speak to people on the ground speak to teachers and work out how their time is being spent and that can even be in the formal way of a cost sheet but how is your time being spent is it have we got opportunities to talk about teaching with the, your other subject experts have you got opportunities to really think about your practice and, and have a look at how it looks in other people's classrooms and have you got time to actually think about your curriculum and how you're how you're teaching it for your students if we can give them the opportunity to do that and remove all the other stuff as much as we possibly can or give it out to other people who are specialists in admin or behaviour policy or whatever else, then that's probably the single best thing we can do for stuff in schools, I believe. Yeah, I, I really like that approach. And the way that the way that I've termed that here on the podcast and, and in other things that I've done is by finding out what people's strengths are and then putting them in positions to use those as much as possible. And so for most teachers, you can pretty confidently say their skill and their strength is in talking about teaching, thinking about teaching, planning, teaching, and doing the teaching. And so giving them as much time as possible to do that is really powerful. What I have really seen so powerfully with that is that there are some people who are good at teaching and enjoy it, but they don't realize that that's not actually what they love about school and what they love about school. So the behavior issue, for example, I had an amazing teacher who was a sixth grade teacher and she was she was great as a teacher, but then we created a behavior coach position for her and basically said, behavior is all yours in the school. And so like that is going to be your whole focus. And, and once, uh, once we did that, she blossomed more than we could have ever imagined. And she, she realized that that was what her real passion was, was, dealing with kids who were in difficult situations and helping them make good choices. And it was this huge boon to her career that eventually caused her to go into uh, get a master's of social work and move into different positions within the district. But it was so amazing to see that happen. And I've seen that with other people, but that's just the one example that I want to talk about. When you can find that out, 
if there's something else that somebody's good at, then it really opens the door for them to really blossom into to do the kinds of things that they just love doing. And that's a, that's a real thing. So I really appreciate that approach and starting with just giving teachers more time to think about and talk about teaching is, is a really great place to go. I do want to talk uh, just a little bit in addition about the idea of, of guilt. And in your book, stop talking about well-being. You say this sentence, we, if we continue to run our schools on guilt and interpret the fact that there are not enough hours to complete our roles as a failure on our part, we are sorely mistaken. And can you talk a little bit about that idea of the guilt that we put on teachers and that teachers put on themselves? Because that's another topic that I've talked a lot about. Yeah, I think I think this is this is prevalent in many professions. I think it just it's it's more at the spearhead within teaching because we're dealing with children. And I have worked with and have many colleagues that have worked with this. We have this strap line of, but it's for the kids. And, and and that's used to kind of hold over people sometimes in in putting work on them without actually thinking about it. it's a time cops exercise. Every single person has a finite amount of hours within their working week. And so if we're asking them to, for example, if we're asking a teacher to mark books every week using a particular policy, it takes them two and a half hours to mark those books. And they've got four classes, that's 10 hours marking a week, where is that time coming from? And actually sitting down and thinking, okay, well, what am I asking from, from, you know, from my teachers? Have they got the time in there to do that? And, and, And that's a really nice, easy, straightforward way of taking of removing that guilt, because people all I think we need to work with the school leaders, the assumption that everybody comes to work to do a good job. You know, no, no one comes in to, to be mediocre. I, I really do strongly believe that. And so what we have to do is start reframing the conversations that we're having, maybe with that assumption to go, OK, how can I help you? Because you clearly want to do a good job. Um, that guilt comes from people taking on things because someone has sometimes communicated it in such a way that it is non-negotiable um and I think teachers we are our own worst enemy on that front that we will say yes and yes and yes and keep going because you know the because we know that um what we do impacts upon children's lives and children's outcomes and so you know that's a heavy burden to bear and so as school leaders we have a we have a moral duty to to alleviate that guilt wherever we can really by making it really explicit to people that they can only do so much within a working week they need to have a life as well you know that's really important yeah that i think that's so powerful the the things that i've seen with that teacher guilt is that you feel that you have to do things a certain way or many educators are rule followers and they want to do the right thing and they want to please the people in positions of authority over them and you know especially right now with all this coronavirus stuff i mean for example teaching a class live to the kids in your classroom and to kids who are at home is is really not a good idea and i believe that it is possible to do that I do not believe that most teachers are equipped to do that, and yet many are doing that because that's what their district has decided. And I really think that that is a, an unfortunate situation that nobody should be forced into that position. However, if you have that ability and you can do that, then by all means, go for it. But I, I really think that that's one of those, a very specific example of how we 
put unrealistic expectations on our teachers and ask them to do things that we really can't expect them and that they'll say yes to you know and that, that and that they'll say yes to and 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 if you know that and you know your staff are going to say yes to something that's unreasonable then you have to question is it okay for you is it acceptable to be asking the question in the first place and I do agree I think remote working and you know and lots of me there was lots of media coverage about you know how we can start rethinking flexible working now that we've worked from home and I'm like this isn't you know flexible working my two-year-old and my three-year-old are scavenging around on the floor while I you know while I work that's that's not that's not what working from home looks like <laughs> right yeah yeah, that is, there's so much more that we could go into about that, but but I really appreciate how you said that that um, that we really need to to focus on on things that actually do work and are manageable that we can handle, and then being able to to say I'm not going to do this when it's not a good idea. So, what's your advice for um, for principals to to get those reactions from their teachers because. The reality is, is teachers will go along with so much without saying how they really feel. How do you how do you help principals know how to get their teachers to tell them what's not working? Yeah, I love those people. I love those people, to be honest, because the vast like you say, the vast majority of people will tell you what you want to hear. And I think the further the more senior you become within school, the less you hear the truth, because, again, people want to do a good job. And so you get told the things that they think they, you want to hear. And um, what I would suggest is that you, you're speaking. Um, we have kind of a level within um, the UK. I don't, I don't know how similar it is over there with you guys. But, you know, so our middle leaders, we have honest conversations with with those and it's creating those layers so that you have an insight so it might not necessarily be that you're having the conversation as a senior leader with somebody else but it's again that ripple effect so my middle leaders and their you know their um their kind of um what we call tlr holders within so we have kind of sub leaders within departments are having again those those micro conversations those impassing conversations and that that filters back to you so it is really about making sure that people are readily available um, making sure that people have the opportunity so for example at the moment we've stripped out all of our meeting time all of our open evenings with parents because that's not an option things like that all of our meeting time is stripped out other than our subject level faculty time because that's really important at the moment that our subjects are working really closely together and more importantly looking after each other so things like live lessons and remote learning and things like that that we can bring those subjects together for example all of the English department come together and discuss about how that can look, how they can put together work and work in cluster groups to put together work for students should they be off, should they have to go into self-isolation for a um, day period and things like that. So that we're not all sitting isolated in our classrooms doing the same thing with, a, you know, unknowingly the person in the next room is doing exactly the same work as you. It's, it's making sure that people have opportunities to speak to each other, I think, is really important because um, you have to find outlets where you will fail to find out the truth people people won't be honest with you sadly because they want to do a good job it's with it's with the very best of intentions well and and that's something that I've certainly seen in one of my greatest failures as a principal um, was in a school we were doing a lot of um, innovative great things and people didn't like it but nobody ever told me that they didn't like it and even though I felt like I was providing opportunity and space for us to have those conversations and I was 
actively asking things like what's wrong with this plan what's not going to work you know people were still just telling me what i wanted to hear and that's that's not a good position for anyone to be in um because uh you know when when things hit the fan and uh something didn't work then everybody was like see i always thought that didn't work but nobody ever told me that you know and and that's that's probably because I wasn't, you know, open or didn't appear open or whatever that may be, even though in my heart, I really wanted to hear where things were going to fail. So anyway, that that's something that I've struggled with a lot. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that so we're in a very similar position at the moment. So um, we, I've just brought in um, rewritten our performance management policy to work in line with coaching so rather than you know your line manager sit you down for the year tell you what you're good at and what you're bad at (laughs) what you need to improve on and these are your targets go away and do them and that's you for the year teachers are being encouraged to set their own goals so it's far more autonomy it's far more kind of pedagogical um, and subject driven but more importantly created by the people who know their strengths and and areas of development the teacher Um, and so part of that was carrying out coaching training with all of our staff and I had several people over the last couple of weeks go do you know what it's too much I've, I've got so many things to think about at the moment we're going back to school we're trying to get our heads around remote working I don't know when I'm going to find time for this this is I've got a deadline the same week for this remote working plan to be in for and so many things were hitting the same pressure point and so you know I think sometimes and I I am incredibly um devoted and in love with the the concept of coaching I'm really excited to share that with my team um and so you know part of you could just turn around and go no we're plowing on regardless but it was about listening to those stuff and actually we moved some deadlines around and we extended deadlines from other areas you know of of the senior leadership team in order to make it work so that people felt that they had the space and the time to think about their own development and actually we give priority to that as a result of listening to people Um, and I'm really grateful to those staff who are saying everyone else is thinking it but no one wants to say anything I want to talk to you about this and have this honest conversation without those people you know you, you can't you can't operate um with that kind of that that really you know established sense of trust i think yeah i i totally agree with you on that and as i've helped people focus more on a coaching perspective to teacher evaluation um that's an area where it is more difficult because it's a lot easier to just say what are the expectations and let me just do those but that doesn't provide real growth that just provides checking off a box, filling in a, a, a paper and that's it. And, you know, I, so <laughs> a couple of years ago, I got an evaluation from my supervisor and she marked me as distinguished in every single column. And I don't say that to brag, but I say that to say that evaluation meant absolutely nothing to me. And she said in our meeting, this is the best principal evaluation that I've written as an assistant superintendent. And while you know, I felt great about that part. Like, yeah, I'm the best. It wasn't, it wasn't helping me grow at all. And so, you know, I glanced at it, but I didn't pay any attention to the things that she wrote. However, when she was more critical the following year and addressed some of my weaknesses that were coming out, I was very curious about that because I wanted to see what, I wanted to see where she saw that I was weak and and when i was able to to get that feedback i worked harder to improve my weaknesses than when she just said that i was amazing all around 
because saying that I was amazing all around, you know, it didn't really help me in any regard. It just reinforced my own confidence in myself, which isn't always healthy, right? <laughs> and so sometimes we think we're a lot better than we are. So anyway, that that idea of coaching people, I think is is super powerful. The final question I'd like to ask you is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal like you, Cap? Listen, you need to put yourself in a position, particularly at the moment, to be able to listen to as many people as possible. And that's all the small conversations. I'm just thinking about my conversations today from somebody who went out and bought a new sofa at the weekend to somebody else's kid who took a first couple of steps to, um, you know, more formal logistical ideas about how we're going to get kids down to sport and back up again when we're working in bubbles. All of those different conversations, um, make yourself available for them because they are building really strong established relationships long term yes very good and i want to remind everybody that um cat is the author of the book stop talking about well-being which um we touched on a few parts from that book but there's so much more that we didn't get to uh so make sure you check that out you can get show notes including a link to her work at jethrojones.com slash podcast slash episode 362 and cat once again thank you so much for being part of transformative principle Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, Check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle.